Welcome to PS Editor's Podcast. I'm Greg Bruno. The political uncertainty following Italy's March 4 election rattled markets and shook investor confidence. And now the formation of a Eurosceptic government in a founding member of the European Union has raised a troubling question. Is the European project doomed? It's official. Italy raising anchor and setting sail for uncharted waters. Europe's boat rocked by an unprecedented populist coalition. A very unusual coalition government has come to power in Italy. Leaders of the anti-establishment five-star movement and the right-wing anti-immigration league party have been sworn into office, ending three months of political deadlock. Following the United Kingdom's Brexit vote and the rise of populists in Central Europe, the outcome in Italy represents a clear test for the EU. To some, Italy's new government offers a blueprint that other populists can and will emulate. But to others, the outcome may be the needed shock that will finally motivate EU reformers into action. Whatever the future holds for Europe, all roads may now lead through Rome. And for today's guest, Mark Leonard, who is director of the European Council on Foreign Relations, that is a very scary proposition. Let's find out why. Hello. Hi, Mark. Hi. Hi, this is Greg at Project Syndicate. Thanks for joining us today on PS Editor's Podcast. It's a great pleasure. Well, lots to talk about, and Italy is the star attraction. So let's get right to the conversation. You know, it's been a remarkable couple of weeks for Italy. Um, On June 1st, after months of political back and forth, the top vote-getters in the March 4 elections, the anti-establishment five-star movement and the anti-immigration league party finally formed a government. Walk us through this Italian political drama. What happened and how did we finally get to where we've arrived? Well, it's a pretty remarkable state of affairs because if you go back uh, just over a decade before the Euro crisis started, Italy was by far the most pro-European country in the European Union and being attached to, to the European Union was a central part of any political platform. In fact, uh, if you go back a little bit further, um, when uh, Romano Prodi was uh, was prime minister and was trying to think about ways of making taxation popular in Italy, which is pretty difficult in in all con- in any country, he realised that the only way that he could get Italians to to want to pay a tax was to call it the euro tax in order to make it more popular. So. Um, the fact that the big winners in these elections were running on not just anti-establishment platforms, but against the uh, European Union and many of the tenets within it, particularly the, the leadership in, in Brussels and uh, the policies of the German government, um, is quite remarkable. The election um, split Italy broadly into two main uh, uh, tribes. There was the, the big winner in the north of Italy was the, the League Party, which is uh, uh, an anti establishment far right uh, anti immigrant uh, party and um, in southern Italy the big winner was the the five star movement which was uh, a very different kind of political movement which was born on the internet which is very much uh, against the establishment. In Italy's parliamentary election earlier this year, the anti-establishment five-star movement celebrated a historic success, winning almost 33% of the vote. It's an unconventional party, and it waged an unconventional campaign. It has a different 
demographic and a different set of priorities was more hostile to um, to, to austerity policies um, and and, uh, and less uh, part of the, the kind of far right uh, political moves, which uh, which are defined more by sort of social conservatism and religion, which have, um, have made such big impacts in other countries. Mm. Um, and it took a, a huge amount of time for those two parties to find each other and to to come together to to create a platform um, which united them. They went through a, a process which was inspired by that which the German political parties go through of trying to to agree on a common platform before agreeing on on individuals uh, who can uh, be uh, within the government. Okay. Um, but once they had done that, we then had another political crisis because they had to persuade uh, the president of the republic who... Uh, has a, a veto on uh, the nomination of, of key, uh, well, of any government um, to to allow them to do it. And there was f- uh, a big fuss, first of all, about who the, the next prime minister was going to be. And they uh, named uh, a little known uh, law professor called Giuseppe Conte to, to the role. And, and there was initially a lot of fuss about him because it turned out some of the the claims that he made in his CV were not uh, entirely accurate. The law professor nominated to become Italy's next prime minister is facing allegations of embellishing his CV. Giuseppe Conte says on his resume that he perfected his legal studies at New York University. But a spokesman for the institution told the New York Times there was no record of him having studied there. Conte mentions several U.S. universities and other seats of learning in the U.K., France and Austria. However, he rarely specifies courses taken or areas of study. And there was a lot of uh, fun on the Italian internet with people making all sorts of bold claims from kind of moon landings and other things which, which, people, which he hadn't done, but inventing fake CVs for him. Um, but what was uh, turned out to be an even bigger deal was who the finance minister was going to be. And they had nominated uh, an 80 year old uh, law uh, the economics professor who was very anti euro to, to the role. And this um, both spooked financial markets who'd already been uh, upset by the leaking of uh, various plans which seemed to be. Uh, based on the idea of returning to pre-Maastricht days for, for Italy. And there were questions about whether this government was going to try and pull out of the euro, which is something that that uh, got financial markets very worried, which worried uh, the, the, the governor of the European Central Bank as well. Um, and then nominating um, Mr. Savona, Professor Savona, to, to, to that role was something which, which, which um, proved to be a step too far. So the president initially vetoed the formation of the government and was about to bring in a, a technocratic government. Um, but the, the two parties then balked and uh, agreed to a different uh, finance minister and um, Mr. Savona is now the, the Europe minister, but there is uh, a more um, acceptable uh, finance minister who has been put in place. And we see this new government, which is a remarkable coalition between the two po- main populist tribes in Italy, but which also have, I think, real significance for the, for the wider European Union, because on the one hand, it brings together the sort of far-right, anti-immigrant populism, uh, which appeals to sort of social conservatism and traditional values of the of the Lega, which is um, the party formerly known as the Northern League, with a more sort of 
uh, anti-austerity, uh, liberal kind of populism, which is um, uh, embodied by the, the, the Five Star Movement. This is not just any populist government. You know, this is a populist government or an anti-system government that brings the left and the far right together. Um, and these people have basically nothing in common. Yeah, I mean, so let's get into the, the, the political differences between these two parties. They're labeled populists in, in Western press, but as you just pointed out, they're not populist in the same way. What are, the, what are your thoughts on this political marriage? I mean, it took a long time to come to an agreement, and, and not entirely because of the parties doing, but to have uh, the political establishment behind them. Now that a government has been formed, can this coalition survive and actually get anything done? Well, I think what they're trying to do is to have uh, a central division of labor between the different parties. I mean, there are some things which they agree on. They both were running strongly against the, the Italian political establishment, um, which is obviously easier to, to do when you're in opposition than when you're in government and you become <laughs> a new establishment. But they, they uh, reject a lot of the, 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 the parties and the kind of practices of, of previous uh, governments. And they're obviously governing in a very different way. Um, secondly, uh, they do have uh, a shared worry about the migration crisis, which um, some people have likened uh, to 9-11 for, 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 for in terms of its political impact on, on Europe. And it's certainly true that if you uh, overlay the, the migration crisis with the euro crisis, which is the other thing which uh, these two parties have in common, an unhappiness about the way that Italy has been treated by the European institutions over the last few years, the austerity uh, which has been imposed on different countries, the the, the vision of, of what they see as a sort of German uh, Europe. Um, so th I think those are things which they, 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 they have in common. And they're things which have led in Italy to a sense that Europe was being uh, done to them rather than by, the, by Italy and on, on Italy's behalf. So Italy right. feels both like it was... Uh, emasculated politically but by austerity and by the, the the reforms which were imposed following the euro crisis and then completely abandoned to deal with the with the migration crisis um, by other countries and and a lot of Italians will say that you know the, the immigration wasn't seen as a problem until it became a problem for Germany but but when it was just Italy that was dealing with it then um, it was left all on its own so right, I think right. th those are areas which they have in common there are obviously so I think that the core of the, the way that the parties are going to work together is to have a sort of division of labor. So you see, if you look at the key posts in the government, the migration issue is being uh, given to the Lega party and uh, Matteo Salvini, the, the leader of the, 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 the Lega, is the new interior minister. And he has hit the ground running <laughs> And then on the other hand, the uh, Five Star Movement is trying to develop a new uh, social uh, policy so that there are these ideas of a, of, uh, of a kind of universal basic income. A flat tax, welfare payments to poor families, a pivot towards Russia and the deportation of half a million migrants, a platform well, that flies in the face of EU values and Eurozone fiscal policy. And I, in a way, I suspect 
the two parties will be working in their separate lanes and appealing to their own constituencies. They divided the country between North and South, and now they're dividing the different policy areas. Um, and the contract uh, for the for the government of change, which is what they call their governing platform, basically is a merger of these two uh, platforms and gives them both control of the key ministries which they which they care about. So you mentioned uh, the the new interior minister, Matteo Salvini. Um, I was reading a foreign affairs piece recently that essentially described him as the new protagonist of Italy's political future. Tell us a little bit about him. Who is he? What are his priorities? Well, he's one of the surprising winners of this election. His party actually did uh, rather less well than the, the Five Star Movement, but he played the, the crisis uh, very well and has ended up uh, having a, uh, a disproportionate um, uh, impact uh, on how the government's formed, how many posts he get, and what their political priorities are. He is uh, a man in his uh, his mid forties. He's been uh, running the the Northern League for five years now. Um, uh, he's been a, a member of the European Parliament for the constituency of, of Northwest Italy. He's nicknamed uh, the Captain by um, by his supporters, um, and. He's basically uh, been uh, one of the, the kind of foot soldiers of the far right uh, Lega Nord uh, party uh, for, a, for, for a long time um, now. He has uh, a few topics which he keeps on returning to. Immigration um, and illegal immigration is, is, is one of the most important ones. Um, the Lega Nord party was basically started out more as a, a, a secessionist movement for, for northern Italy, uh, which is much wealthier and felt that it was being sort of dragged down by the uh, by the south of the country and having to, to uh, transfer lots of money <laughs> Um, which they were having to subsidize in, in various different ways. Um, but um, over the years, uh, I think the two key topics which, which he has made his own were, one, uh, illegal immigration and fighting against it, and secondly, um, a, a fear about the, about the euro and mm. a, a euroscepticism. And he was pushing those ideas within the, um, uh, within the European Parliament and in other areas, and that's combined with a with a sort of populist economic policy. Um, he, you know, one of the other uh, things which they're talking about in in the general platform is introducing a flat tax, which was something which um, the which he has been uh, fighting for 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 various years um, in the Lega Party. Mm, okay. It's interesting, Mark, that you talk about how for such a long time the European Union was seen to uh, to Italians as the more legitimate uh, government or, or uh, the legitimate actor, whereas the Italian government was perhaps you know, too corrupt or inept to solve Italians' problems. And now it seems like uh, the tables have turned a bit and Italians uh, have every reason to blame the EU for abandoning them and, and leaving them uh, down this path. So how much responsibility does the EU bear for where Italy has found itself today? And the very fact that we're talking about whether or not Italy is a harbinger of uh, a broader European collapse. I think they, 
Europeans uh, have got a lot to blame themselves for. I do think that uh, the Italian grievances, particularly around migration, are entirely legitimate. They have been more or less abandoned. Um, and other European countries have not engaged properly with the with the crisis until much too late. But I also think there's been a sort of failure of to to uh, to, to really um, engage on the euro as well. And uh, you know, it's taken Angela Merkel and Olaf Scholz almost a year to respond to Macron's um, uh, proposals in uh, in the Sorbonne, um, and and during that time there was very little attempt to to kind of reach out to other countries. So I think, in a way, though you know Italy does uh, and Italian politics um, has failed to deal with some of the structural problems which Italy faces. I do think that the rest of the EU um, bears a high level of responsibility for for where we've ended up, mm. and I think that. Um, we're going to reap what we sowed as well, because what's happened in Italy, I think, could potentially have really, really important consequences for the future of European politics, because traditionally you've had these two strands of populism, uh, a populism which was socially conservative, uh, religiously uh, based, anti-immigrant of the far right, which uh, has been particularly influential in Eastern Europe and a kind of anti-austerity, more left-wing populism, which has been particularly prevalent in Southern Europe. Uh, uh, But these two tribes have have not been able to work together, have not been able to uh, mobilize proper support uh, at the European level. And um, by creating a common platform in Italy, they might be creating a template Mm. for different governments to come together in the future and upend uh, European politics in a more dramatic way. Right. I, I, think, think the, I think this yeah. is where, in, in your most recent commentary, you wrote that, that if the Five Star and the League, quote, succeed in governing, their political program could serve as a template for populists throughout the EU. And that's what you're getting at now. Exactly. I think it can both be a template in, in other countries, but also in 2019, we have European elections and there are going to be uh, attempts to to create new political parties um, and new political movements who will uh, each try to control the the formation of the the next European Commission. And um, what we've seen in Italy might be a template for uh, a big anti-establishment movement to actually come together. There are a lot of parties in every single member state of the European Union that don't like the European Union that we have at all, and some of them don't like the idea of any European Union. Um, and But they've traditionally been quite divided and fractious and found it very hard to work together. Um, the Italian model might find a uh, might provide a way for, for for different parties to come together because the the, the five star movement appeals to the sort of southern European uh, left wing populist parties and the um, Lega party appeals to, to to groups like the you know the the Orbán's party in in Hungary. Mm. Um, the FPÖ in Austria, the Front National in France. Um, And if uh, they can come together into a common movement, they could potentially um, give France and Germany a real run for their money as as, uh, drivers of of, of a European project. Because I think what they're promising is a a re-foundation of the the European Union Hmm. 
um, in a very different shape. And I think that creates a real challenge for the establishment in Brussels and in country in countries like France and Germany to also uh, reinvent themselves because if they're trying to support the status quo in the face of this uh, revolutionary movement they're likely to lose and I think that's what Emmanuel Macron has understood and what he's tried to do is to come up with a, another anti-establishment anti-status quo uh, movement, but one which uh, actually wants more rather than less Europe. Hmm, right, and right. That could be the, the big battle of, of 2019 between these two uh, kind of new um, reformed political movements. An interesting challenge that I can foresee is you know, how the, the, the new political party, the new governing party in Italy manages or balances, on the one hand, many, many Italians who support remaining part of the Eurozone, who, who understand the benefits uh, of Eurozone membership, and I think the number is in the 60 to 70 percent range, um, and those who are anti-establishment. How will the governing coalition in Italy manage uh, those seemingly conflicting goals uh, and, and desires of the Italian public? Yeah, I mean, I think essentially you know a lot of it is going to be about symbolic politics so i'd expect a lot more fireworks and a lot more of these kind of big bold symbolic acts as a way of showing that italy's going through a new beginning um, i do think there's been a sort of degree of rowing away from some of the more um revolutionary uh impulses when it comes to the eurozone and i think that is obviously to do with the fact that a, these things are very, very complicated, as uh, the Syriza party found in um, uh, in Greece when they came in and, and, and found it was a lot harder to get out of the euro than they thought it was going to be. But also the the fact that the Italian public just doesn't want that at the moment. Mm. So, I, you know, I, I think it's going to be a continual balancing act, but a lot of it will be uh managed through political craft finding ways of, of having sort of political theater and crises and different ways of falling out with the authorities in brussels but but in ways that don't probably uh drive the financial markets to the to uh, to the kind of brink of uh, of chaos which they were at when when Berlusconi was forced out of office i mean do you think that the initial suggestion uh, of a finance minister who was a uh, very much in favor of, of withdrawing from the euro was a bit of political theater just to to push the president into uh, a decision that he's been highly criticized for well that's uh, that was the suspicion um of, of many people and they think that the matteo salvini in particular um used that as a as a very skillful way of both wrong-footing the president, but also of increasing his own bargaining power within the coalition, because he was keener on having new elections than the five-star movement were. And and that's allowed him to have a, a government which is very balanced between those two parties, even though the five-star movement got vastly more support in the, in the polls than the Lega did. Okay. Well, I promised uh, before we started the call that, that we would end with uh, looking at potential bright spots in all of this gloom. Um, so is there a, a, a bright spot? Is there a silver lining in all of this, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that for me, the two bright spots are one, if 
the pro-Europeans realised that they can't just defend an indefensible status quo, but they also need to reinvent themselves and reinvent the European project. That would be a, a, a really important uh, lesson to, to draw from all of this. And it's certainly the lesson that Emmanuel Macron has drawn. We'll see whether he manages to pull it off. But I think his instinct is right not to accept the, the traditional dividing lines either between left and right or between being in favour of Europe or in favour of the nation state, but instead to come up with a new idea of a Europe that can protect its citizens from a crazy and, and much more uh, a sort of threatening world than that which we've been accustomed to in, in recent years. Um, secondly, I do think that the process of, of, uh, of governing and of dealing with the realities of power can be something which um, changes political movements. And, um, you know, I, I think it would have been a big mistake for another technocratic government to have been appointed. It would just have strengthened these uh, anti-establishment forces. And um, we'll see what, what happens. I mean, there are three possible <laughs> outcomes from this. One outcome is that they try and govern and they fail miserably and uh, that that therefore allows Italy to its cathartic moment of getting this moment of revolt out of their system, but then they can return to, to, to more mainstream politics. Another outcome is that uh, the parties themselves are uh, on both sides, both the governing parties and the opposition parties change as a result of this, that the, the Five Star Movement and the Lega um, actually become more sensible and um, uh, actually, uh, you know, govern in a way which doesn't fundamentally threaten the, the either the European Union or, uh, you know, the, the sort of country that Italy wants to be. Or the, the third kind of possibility is that they um, are very successful in implementing their, their, their policy programme and that Italy does become a much less uh, open and much uh, more Eurosceptic party and that they, they, they create this sort of template for the whole of the EU to move um, in, a, in a much more anti-immigrant, uh, less sort of uh, open uh, direction. And that would be um, <laughs> a much more frightening scenario. But I, I don't think that the way to uh, deal with the threat of anti-establishment parties is, is just to shut them out of office. I think it has to be to to reform the establishment so that it, it actually offers people something that they want rather than just relying on, on, on Project Fear. And hopefully the shock of uh, this new political uh, creation of, of this government will, will force others to, to reinvent themselves both within Italy and at a European level. Mm, a bit of a wake-up call. Um, well, I think that's a good place to leave it with three possible scenarios. Stay tuned. Uh, thank you so much, Mark. That was a fascinating and illuminating conversation on uh, the current situation in Italy and the implications for Europe. Thank you. That was Mark Leonard, director of the European Council on Foreign Relations and host of the always engaging weekly podcast series on foreign policy, The World in 30 Minutes available at the Council's website and on all of the usual channels. And that's all for our podcast this week. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate and review this episode and subscribe on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. Until next time, I'm Greg Bruno. Bye.